So with your equipment on board, it's important to, as we know, to keep good watches. And if you're a single hander, that's impossible. You need to sleep. So what was your keep watch equipment? Was it AIS? And what else did AIS. you have that you really utilised? AIS, utilized yeah. AIS was great. When I did that single hander transpack, AIS in those suits was just coming in. Right. And a lot of us had the uh, receive only uh, oh. AIS on board. And wow, what a difference that made. Uh, because you could really see when you had a problem coming your way. And then you could get, jump on the radio when they got close enough to have a word with them. Of course, they then got concerned because they couldn't see you mm. on their AIS because you weren't transmitting. Uh, and to be honest, quite often I would find, even when I was transmitting, that I would find that a lot of the ships weren't running their radar anymore. They were relying on the AIS. So I'd say to them often, well, you know, is your radar, you know, have you seen me on your radar? And they'd say, oh, we'll come back to you in a few minutes you know, while they switch it on in a hurry. Oh, okay. Whether or not they see me. So I'd often ask them for a report of when they saw my AAS and my radar signals. Because I had a very good um, radar reflector uh, the Echo Max, which on the time I put it up, was the best one on the market. Mm -hmm. I think it was a new, new version of it. Did you, did you manage to sleep well? Did you have a set routine, like day after day? Did you have um, a set routine? Yeah, or the, just... first, the first time around was probably more shorter interval than the second. I, was trans I did get a transmit AIS. I mean, I deliberately, again, with a backup in mind, I got the SIMLAD AIS, which connected to my radio, my VHF radio, so that if I saw a, um, on the AIS, if I saw a boat that I wanted to connect to, the MMSI number from the ship was was taken, shot, uh, showed up on my radio, mm. so that when I was within VHF range, it automatically had connected to that ship. And of course, I knew the name of the ship, so important to connect up with them. Um, but... I mean, you know, you know, you sense anyway, if anything goes wrong with the boat, they're going to wake up. So that happens. But um, I did get to be able to sleep for longer time intervals when I knew for sure that I, there was no problem. And um, maybe as much as two hours at most, you know, which is long. Oh. Normally, I would, if I was worried or had a sked coming up, um, I would set off my iPhone alarm, actually. It was really good, so convenient. Otherwise, the best one really was one of my plotter, my chart plotter, because I had to get out of the bunk to put it, take it off, to switch it off. So one that goes on and on until you actually physically hit a button is actually the best one. Yes. So I would set that for, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes. You know, I didn't do the, t I tried the 20-minute thing, that just doesn't work. Just too short for a long time. Yeah. But 45 minutes is fine. I mean, most of the ships you're seeing are going at 12 knots to 15 max. Cruise ships will go at 20, but you know where they are, and they're going to be on AMS anyway. Mm. So 15 knots, if they're doing 15 knots max, most of the merchant ships are down to 12. If you've got a 24-mile range, which I did have on the AIS, you've got over an hour to respond. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got plenty of time. So even, you know, even an hour length of suit would be sufficient to be still keeping safe. Unless, of course, well, if they're not showing AIS, they're not showing lights. It's a bit like we run over by a bus when we cross the road, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's different. Think about it. <laughs> so, with your with your record attempts, you had you had some uh, attempts where you hit weather and had some gear problems, and you had to reattempt. And you had one yeah. voyage, which I think. Well, well, you tell us. Yes. Were you at three hundred thirty nine days at sea? 
last one, yeah, 11 months, unbelievable. I mean, I just had to, that thought was a real bummer and I had to just push that thought away. Whatever it is, you know, case that I said, whatever it is, it's going to be, I'm not going to give up now, I'm going to finish, I'm not going to put in at this point. And I, but I couldn't believe how long it was, you know, it was just, yeah, unbelievable. So that was I just... Seeing, day 259, I'd finished my previous one, right? And on day 259, which then is July the 1st that year, I was down in off New Zealand, just looking at day 259 came up and I thought, oh my God, I'm nowhere near finishing. Can't believe this, you know. I'd had so many problems. Yeah. Oh, so it's from, well, the both records were done from Victoria, British Columbia to Victoria, British yeah. Columbia. And yeah. the one where you had the additional problems, what were they? Oh, the list just goes on and on. <laughs> uh, not counting weather problems, which yeah. I had loads of, many more in the, in, the, in the Atlantic than I had the previous time. I mean, the previous time, I just went straight from Cape Horn over towards South Africa and then on into the, into the Indian Ocean. Mm. It wasn't a big deal. I had occasional storms, but nothing much. This time, I was forever dodging, uh, you know, being, trying not to be meeting the sandwich, effectively. You've got the Southern Ocean storms coming along anyway. Every few days, you're going to have a massive storm coming along. But then you've also now got storms coming off Argentina and Brazil, yeah. off South America. Really big, nasty ones. I mean, when um, Uku Randmar, who kept me company around uh, the Cape Horn, was, when he got into the Atlantic Ocean, as I did, he got really clobbered by a big storm that I managed to avoid because I had the weather information he didn't have in order to avoid it. And I was a bit behind him anyway. But um, those storms were really big and coming down. But if you were south of them, well, you didn't want to be south of them because that's where the Southern Ocean storms came up to. Yeah. So it was a really difficult situation avoiding them, which is why, in fact, I heaved two so many times. And eventually, because the, when, when I heaved two, I heaved two with just my mainsail, which is something else I'd learned to do, which was brilliant, ready for putting out my Jordan series joke, because when I heaved two with just my mainsail, I take in my staysail, I shoot out the main like mad, I slowly bring it in, wait until we're happily, it's just fluttering every now and then, going up and down. Don't have to fix the, um, the wheel completely upwind necessarily. You just play around a little bit. Yeah. But you're basically just coming up and then coming off it. So now I've just got the mainsail, but every now and then it's fluttering as we're coming up into the wind. So if I then feel that the conditions are getting so bad, I want to put out the series drogue, I'm coming up into the wind, I drop my main, put out the series drogue, dead easy. I don't have to, otherwise I'd be running downwind in reduced, under reduced sail. And now I've somehow got to come up upwind to put out my series drogue. Yes. Um, I didn't have that problem. So, you know, I was really quite happy with that situation. The problem being, and of course my main sail wasn't strong enough to put up with it, when I'm coming up and fluttering and then coming down, if you've got leech flutter, and that goes on for too long. What happened out north of the Falklands, my main lit at yeah. the reach because yeah. it was not strong enough there to put up with the heaving two that I'd put it into so many times. So having lost my mainsail, now I, that was another record, of course, that no one's going to compete with, no one's going to want. How many weeks are you going to be in the Southern Ocean with no mainsail? Wow. 
Wow. Oh, my goodness. And you, you talked about when you, you hove to, and at one point, and you'll forgive me, I, I don't know which record attempt this was on, but you had a, a big knockdown. And um, in one of your interviews I've listened to previously, you, you said that that was worse than when you lost your boat. So... Yes, that, that was my first stop attempt from Victoria. Okay. Uh, day 72. And so that, that was 20, that was January the 5th of 2011. That knockdown happened. I know exactly the date. I was, I'd heaved to. Uh, my plan had been coming around uh, Cape Horn that time. I'd already come around um, on an attempt that hadn't worked and I'd seen Cape Horn. I'd take my photos. I thought, well, I really don't need to come close to Cape Horn anymore because I've I've got my pictures of it. I've been around it close to. I can just stay where I can be safe. Yeah. And my plan then was to actually, because it's difficult to find deep water going around Cape Horn. Drake's Passage is basically part of the continental shelf, continuous down to, down to Antarctica. So, but I was trying to find all the deepest portions of that strait so that, because obviously when you're in shallower water, the, wave, the waves heap up more. Yeah. So I was trying to stay safe. Okay, I'm going to find the deepest water and come around there. So that was my plan. But then as I got close, I was clearly going to be able to go closer to Cape Horn, which I thought, fine, okay, I'll take some more fits. Um, because it was not going to be dangerous. But then, so I thought, okay, back up again. Just in case, I had a good look on the chart to see where was a point that was in deep water off the continental shelf on that path towards Cape Horn, that if I needed to, I would, okay, if I needed to, a storm came unexpectedly, this is where I'm going to heave to, so I'm in deeper water, I shouldn't have too many big waves, and I'll stay safe, let the storm go, and then I'll go on. So that's what I was doing on January the 4th, I think it was, maybe just the night before, uh, things were looking pretty bad, and suddenly the storm had appeared, and okay, here's my point, I'm going to heave to there. So I heaved to, under main and head serve, I have to say, typical RYA traditional fashion. And um, I was sort of looking at how we were lying to the waves and thinking, I'm not too happy with this. You know, it was kind of 35 gusting 40, so it wasn't too bad. Um, and the waves didn't seem to be too bad, and they didn't seem to be a little bit of tumbling in places, not much. So I thought, oh, yeah, you know, maybe we're okay, but I was feeling uncomfortable. Mm. And then suddenly the next morning, bang, over we go. Because obviously a bigger wave, we were a further beam onto the seas. And the bigger tumbling wave came. And that was it, over we went. And major damage, big damage. I was quite devastated because I was so sure. I was all ready, I was all prepared, I was going to make it. Yeah. I mean, I had all my windscreen was smashed to smithereens. Wow. My boom was broken, my pole was broken, my staysail was damaged. Um, had a load of water down below, of course. Oh, my, well, my entire canopy had been taken away. I had no cover over the cockpit at all. I had no choice but to pull in. Yeah. And that's... But I did sail myself. The engine worked. A Chilean uh, RTC tried to send a, uh, a fishing boat that I'd seen around me. They came by, ready to tow me into... They wanted me to tow me into um, uh, Puerto... Um, oh, what's the name of the place? Puerto... Uh, whatever. And I wasn't very keen because I thought you hear so many stories of people that aren't used to towing a boat, making things worse. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't keen for that to happen. But then eventually when my station went, I don't know, and then they, 
they came around looking to see what the situation was. They chopped off my series code, which had self-deployed, I have to say. Right. Uh, when I had my knockdown, it self-deployed because I had it all ready to go. Yeah. And um, so now I started shooting off down towards Antarctica. I thought, well, maybe I should have a tow. <laughs> oh, wow. Anyway, but um, I didn't. I, in the end, I, I thought, well, okay, I've got to undo the seal on my engine, which was put at the beginning in the check at the, at the end. I've not used my motor. Undo the seal, check the engine. Is it working? Yes, it was working. The neutral, put it in gear. It was working in gear. Okay, guys, thanks very much. But I can, I'm underway. I'm, I can see to myself. So when I came around Cape Horn, I sailed. I had turned um, off the, I had a headset, I had the Genoa. I thought, okay, I've got the remote, I can sail around Cape Horn. I've got to sail well, around Cape Horn. I can't motor. <laughs> but it was brilliant. I had dolphins welcoming me. Um, I had a load of albatrosses around. There was no other boat or ship in sight. I had the entire horn to myself. Oh, so wow. that was brilliant. I went around and took my photos again. Yeah, that was really good. Oh, wow. Well, well done, you. That's incredible. And let's just focus on the achievement. When you achieved your Guinness Book World Records, how did that feel when you'd actually circumnavigated, unassisted, no support? How did that feel when you, when you got into port and went, well, I've done it? Well, the first time, there wasn't much notice taken on it, to be yeah. honest. Uh, the second time when I got the world record as the oldest person, somehow mm. the word had got out a bit more. And so, there were, and, and anyway, the class were very, very supportive that second, that last time. Um, and yeah, so I think people had gradually learned, you know, what I was doing and, you know, they obviously thought something about it. Um, but for me, I don't know, it was um, nice to have achieved it. But... To be honest, it was more the sailing and having made the voyage. You know, I mean, the record, okay, if it's there, I may as well claim it, is you know, what I've often said, you know. So Guinness World Record, okay, I'm in the Guinness Book of Records, but um, not as the oldest person, unfortunately, because now that they, they don't recognise going around the five great capes as being relevant. Oh. So I had the oldest person record. I still have the oldest person record, so long as you add in the tag, why the five great capes? Oh, okay. Because when, when Bill Hatfield went round, he missed out going on Tasmania, New Zealand. Right. So oh, interesting. I, yeah. So I, I'm in the Guinness Book of Records. I'm still the oldest woman with the record, but of course now as a seventy, what seven year old, the last one. Yes. The oldest person record is, as far as they're concerned, is with Bill Hatfield. I've got a right to go up to Guinness Book because I've. I reckon I've got a few other records that I think I ought to be claiming, which is, um, which is really a bit of fun, you know. The, um, the longest time any woman has been at sea non-stop. Yes. 339 days, right? And I think I ought to try and get them into the oldest person round by the Five Great Capes record. Yeah. I think being by the Five Great Capes, you're in the Southern Ocean that much longer. Yes. Yeah. And why did I get knocked down off, off New Zealand? Because I was trying to get around that fifth cape. Yes. Ocean coming towards winter. I think that's a worthy cause. I think you should definitely, <laughs> I should definitely write that letter and and, get, and claim those. I think they're well deserved. Um, mm -hmm. With all your achievements, uh, you've got a lot of um, awards and recognition. And I think my favourite one is in um, Victoria, British Columbia. They've named an inner harbour after you. 
Yeah, there's a, there's a Socrates dock now, the old, um, where the water taxes and the whale bottom boats leave from, is now named the Socrates dock. Yeah, that was a that felt really special. In mm. fact, Victoria Fidewale doctored me up there. Um, they've been absolutely amazing. A lot of them think I am a Victorian, or they think I'm Canadian. So I've left from Victoria so many times. Um, but no, having that um, that name that was totally unexpected and just amazing. I thought that oh, that is just so special, and um, and also having a plaque on their wall of history commemorating my two non-stops around. That also felt very, very special because that's there forever. That's perpetual. Yes. That felt very special. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it, I think it's extremely special that. and well earned. Now I, I have a really curly question for you, and it is it's really important for cruisers. There's the big potato and onion debate. <laughs> now I, when I cruised, I put my potatoes and onions together, and they lasted for ages. And I've read some of your blog where you've talked about your eggs lasted a long time because you turn them daily and your potatoes and onions lasted. Now, did you stow them together or separately? Uh, they were stowed separately in crates. I mean, it's, it's simpler, you know. I've got, I had two crates of, I had two crates of onions, two crates of potatoes uh, in the dark yeah. uh, on newspaper. Um, so they kind of aired but kept as dark as I could and uh, the onions lasted better than the potatoes I mean the potatoes unfortunately leaving in, in early October is not a good time to be leaving for potatoes up in the Northern Hemisphere because it's not the potatoes aren't aged and no. so you're getting fresh potatoes which are too moist so you really want aged potatoes with a really dry thick skin if they're going to last any length of time uh, onions not quite the same problem. They did tend to last better. Obviously, you're going to rip them over. So, yeah, they were, and my, potato, my eggs were similarly in a box, in the forepeak, on a cushion, in the egg boxes, but within a box, within a box with bubble plastic. But uh, I, I learned that if I didn't stow them in a way that I could turn them easily, they didn't get turned every day. Yeah. They didn't last as long. But if I put them on a cushion in the forepeak, because I had a little seat there, and then I tied them a string around an opening locker, a string around that, an easy half hitch. And not that I could just pull them and do a turn them over, do it up again, really fast, really easy. They lasted four months. Fantastic. Every, more or less every day to send it. So. Yeah, without any treatment, no vaseline no greasing, nothing. Just yes. fresh from him. And preferably thick shells. Yes. They lasted better than a thin shell. Fantastic. That's uh, that's really great to hear. That's good tips. And also, uh, you with your long life milk and your your um, nuts and dried fruits. Did you bake? What was your treat when you were out there? I was like, oh, I deserve a treat today. I'm going to have a. Oh, I'm a chocoholic, so uh, I, I made sure that I had stowed away. I came. I went to Costco one time before I was leaving, and um, I think that was the first time, mind you and discovered they had these, uh, I think they were little tiny bars of, of dark chocolate. So mm. I had, a, I got a load of those, and st but I stowed them in a place that was a bit awkward to get to. Yes. So not too easy. So I had to want them to get to them. And then the other thing I kept, because I kept celebrating any, you know, following, obviously crossing the equator, we celebrate 
and um, give you know Neptune or Poseidon his tipple, but also crossing any meridian or any cape like an excuse for a party. So I deliberately had about half a dozen tunes of little olives stuffed with anchovies that I love, oh, yeah. or um, some hummus, or um, so things like that. I, I had on board. Um, I was actually not going to go with a with a with a wet boat, as it were, when I left last time. But as I was waiting in Victoria Harbour, friends kept coming by with a bottle for me. <laughs> I could have opened up a bar in there. <laughs> so going around and celebrating was not a problem. And so often, what I do is open. Um, in fact, actually, the first time I did my non-stop, I thought I had run out of alcohol, and then I suddenly discovered actually a bottle of Bundy rum on board. Oh. And I had also not long discovered some mango juice. So I had a rum punch to celebrate one of the meridians or capes I was going around. Good. I like, I like yeah. to hear it. That's it good. Kind of something to just look forward to, you know? To look forward to the next cape or the yep. next meridian. You know, the date line, whatever it is, Greenwich Meridian. Yeah, you've got to celebrate your achievements. And, and yeah. you mentioned your friends there. I was... Um, interested to see and I, I spoke to her not that long ago you we have mutual friends well many sailing friends we know but um rob and elise in america with iron mistress that uh you oh, visited nice. he, he took you bike riding on the motorbike oh, we're still in contact i went and stayed with them yes beginning of last year yeah because he was so, so so you know keen for me over the years since we met in south africa uh, well, you've got to come see, you know, when you're any time in Florida. I've just not kept not being anywhere in Florida. But then I got invited to a ham fest to meet up with my ham radio friends. In fact, they were trying to determinedly make sure I accepted their invitation when I was still going around to be at the February ham fest in Orlando. So I thought, oh, well, here's a time when I've got to go and see Robert and Luce. How funny that you know them. Where did you see them? We first met them um, in the Panama Canal. We were all doing our first traverse okay. through the canal and uh, then yeah. we spent a lot of time with them in the Pacific and that was wonderful. You know, the Pacific Ocean cruising ground is glorious. And then on our second half navigation, we uh, Rob was crewing or skippering a boat, doing a boat delivery um, at the same time, we were in the Pacific again, so we met up with him again, yeah. and, and we're still in touch with them. So it gave me a smile yeah. to know that you'd been there, and, and we'll get there yeah. one day. He was, partly the re he was partly the reason that I was actually able to get my genera out of the water. I was coming towards South Africa on my 07 voyage, and um, about to cross the uh, Dallas Current, which of course everyone knows is really, can be really nasty. And I was literally about to come into the current, and I was looking up at my Genoa thinking, oh, I think I can release a little bit more. I released a touch more, and the shackle at the top of the, of the sail gave way. Oh, dear. So the entire sail, I, as I looked up, I was mm. seeing it unzip to fall out to, uh, to, you know, to leeward. Mm. And I rushed to the, the line, the, sh the sheet on the lazy side, caught it in like mad, thinking, oh my God, it's going to go over. I've got to stop as much going over as possible. Grab, got the foot on deck, taut on the winch and stopped too much going over. Mm -hmm. and I did manage to get it back. But, um, so that was a, a problem. But, um, so I knew when this time I was uh, going around and the furling line did give way because uh, I was trying to close it a bit too much. And I thought, oh, I'd better put it in. The wind was getting up. I was moving on to my staysail from the Genoa. Yeah. So I thought, I'll just put another turn on that sheet around the sail to make sure it stays safe. 
And as I did that, the furling line gave way. So now the entire sail, as the wind was building, unravels and goes flapping around like mad. Oh my mm. God. I can still see those sheets, the Genoa sheets flapping and trying to kill everything that came yes. in contact with me included. Um, but again, I did manage to get the sheet, the uh, foot in, the taut as much as I could. Uh, but then I, so I hove to and, um, you know, wondered what to do and was discussing the problem of getting it up. And, um, you know, he was saying, well, you know, can't you use a winch somewhere? You know, how about, you know, can you drag it across the foredeck with a, using a, a block on the foredeck? So I kind of looked at what I had. I thought, well, yeah, I've got the pole downhaul is on the block there. And it worked, you know, the, the general back up. I did get some up. I tried, because it, had, it just became a bag of water. So I did manage uh, to get some of the sail up by releasing the water that was in it, by you know, moving it around a bit. But then there came a point when I was unable to do that. So um, I, I really was you know, worried about, you know, okay, now what? Mm. <laughs> I couldn't move on until I got the sail back up out of the water. No, it's very difficult. It's a lot of noise and a lot of, a lot of as you say, flapping about and those lines are like, they f you feel like they're going to sort of take your head yeah, off. It's, it's dangerous. Yeah. yeah. So what's next? Your boat is in British Columbia at the moment, and you are here <laughs> waiting <laughs> for things to change. What's next for you? Um, Whether sailing. Well, after uh, uh, when you leave here and you get back to your lovely boat, what what is next? A lot of repairs and replacements. Yeah. <laughs> because everything that broke, you know, that failed or gave pro major problems, um, you know, I, I turned back, I got back with a shredded Genoa. Right. I got back with a very damaged mainsail. My instruments had gone down several times. My, uh, oh, my wind vane, my hydro vane is, is actually, John Curry has assured me that my wind, my hydro vane is ready to go again. He's uh, totally redone it, replaced everything that needed it, seen to it, sorted it. So, uh, which is really great news. And uh, again, because people have been so supportive, there's one or two people in Victoria now. In fact, I spoke to a couple of people just before that now, um, who are looking after the boat, keeping an eye on it. I heard from one of them, oh, it's been raining like that. I said, oh, I, oh, I see that Jerry put the dimini up there. Can you make sure it's not just a big puddle of water? It's a, a tent hole in the middle of it. Mm. And, um, and can you make sure that when the bad weather comes, the storm screen is back in place because that had got damaged. Uh, it, was, it was pulling away from one of its retaining sides. Right. And so they took it down. Over the summer, that was fine, but not over the winter. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm constantly thinking, you know, about the boat and what I've got to do is so many things. So when I get back, which is a big question mark at the moment, when that's going to be, because... To get back, this is really the worst time of year to be thinking of trying to get back to Canada. And theoretically, I could do. If I had my, a, a, a test, a pretest, if I paid the amount of money it costs at the moment to get back via maybe the States, which I didn't want to do, and New Zealand's causing a problem with their COVID outbreak, then I've got to have a quarantine plan when I get back, which I don't have. So, and then I'm coming into the Canadian winter. Uh, yeah. Well, I was planning to fly back last June into the summer to have several months of being able to get all my repairs done in good weather and then get away south to Mexico or whatever come the winter. So I don't really want to get back over the winter. 
<laughs> and uh, things are looking, and I've got the book that I'm writing anyway, which is not finished. So I'm thinking, no, I'm going to stay on in a nice COVID-free place at the moment, in good weather, in a place where I can get on with my book, get my head down, keep on with it. And um, I'm still trying to get certain things fixed for the boat. I'm in contact with people, trying to get items like my uh, air vent that was uh, taken away by the knockdown off New Zealand. I'm trying to get a replacement uh, Gerard. Mm. That's difficult because they're not easy to come by. Those right. So things like that, organising. And I had to get new fenders. My boat has been in the harbour with big, strong windstorms coming through last winter there. And my fenders gave way completely. Oh. Well, I had my water maker put into pickle by some other, another guy who's a water maker guy. If I get back, I know, early spring maybe, as the winter finishes, get all that done. I would love to obviously go down to Mexico again and then come across to Australia. I would love to be sailing around Australia. I've seen, you know, Hobart and Tasmania. I've seen going from Cairns around to Darwin. Yeah. I've not seen the Sundays. I've not seen the Kimberleys. I've not seen South, you know, the South is pretty nasty, I know. I, that's why I love doing the Great Ocean Road, because it yes. showed me an animal. Because here I was on land seeing the edge of this nasty bit of the Southern Ocean that gave me so much trouble every time I've gone through it sailing. <laughs> it's a pretty nasty it's, it's a good plan and um, I hope when you're sailing past near airports that you pull in and we can actually have a chat face to face yeah I look forward to that yeah <laughs> now I I've got through about half the stuff I wanted to ask you but I, I'm thinking we may sort of wrap up but I want to know if you're in my shoes what would you have asked you Oh, I don't know. I think you've asked them have all of the relevant questions. Um, there may not be an answer. It's just if there was something you wanted to, important to relay or tell people about, this is your opportunity. I think I've relayed a lot of the important messages, which is make sure you've got a boat that you can trust, that you've really, that you've really thought about what conditions you might be in with that boat. And have you got ready for the worst possible scenario, mm. like tipping upside down? like being in a, a force 10 storm, um, you know, have you really prepared the boat? Because once you've done that, you really can, not relax totally, but you can at least have faith in the boat. And that mentally means so much. And okay, when I reef down, you know, if I take half an hour reefing down, does it matter? Mm. I'm not in a race, it doesn't matter. So long as I'm keeping the boat safe, I reef down the once and I'm looking around for, well, maybe I'll reef down again. It's a bit of a pain to have to, reef, uh, to let the reef go when uh, maybe I didn't need to. I've slowed the boat down too much. But on the other hand, you are keeping yourself safe. Yes. As long as you keep yourself and the boat safe, that's really all that matters. And that partly is a matter of preparing the boat, partly a matter of preparing your voyage, making sure you've got the charts and everything, and you've looked to see where you're going to be going, what the problems might be there, what happens if the wind got up and my engine failed, what would I do about it? Just think of all the possible mm. bad Bad scenarios and see that you're ready for those and then you can just enjoy the sailing I and mean, it's beautiful you know dark nights sun yes. stars shining there's planets up there which planet is that meteorites the, the, the international space station going overhead fantastic you know why would we not be want to be out sailing on long distances we get yes. dark nights. yes <laughs> i agree i came to love the night so much more 
and that that's great advice and the show is cast off with confidence and that's why i like to have these chats with fabulous people such as yourself to get that sage advice out there and show what's possible and um myself and i know many of my sailing colleagues everyone and women who sail think a great deal of you and we're all delighted that you're trapped here that you can get on and finish that book so we can read even more about you and yes lovely i am really enjoying being here i have to say the women who sail and women who sail australia in particular yes a lovely, lovely supportive group yes yeah that's certainly a lovely supportive group and um yeah yeah it's a a great place to share information jan i'm gonna leave you there and it's been an absolute delight getting to know you a bit more our conversations before this chat as well have been just left me smiling every time and i really hope that you do whether you come down here in your your land yacht or get here on your sailboat i hope you um pulling to a port near me and we can have a proper chat once again (laughs) okay jan fair winds okay thank you (laughs) 